Welcome to the final quarter of our attempt to provide you with an overview of world history in 100 or so movies. We would like to get into some listener feedback this season, so if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about anything even tangentially related to the podcast, you can send an email to Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, at tracknerds.com, or hit me up on Twitter, where my handle is, at tracknerds. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Let's start season four, this little bonus episode for Halloween. We got another serial killer for you. Last year we had Jack the Ripper, and this year we have a a remarkably similar story, if you think about it, with the Zodiac Killer, who was causing havoc in Northern California in basically, what, the late 60s, and the story kind of goes into the early 70s with the investigation. Right. But similar in that they're both unsolved. That we still don't officially know Jack the Ripper, and we don't officially know who the Zodiac Killer is. Right. And also similar in that there are whole kind of societies of people who dedicate their lives to try and solving it. I mean, you know, you see that with uh, with Jack the Ripper and, and with uh, with Zodiac. Yes. And this and I actually didn't realize this until this, this morning doing a little research that so Jake Gyllenhaal's character in the film is the person who wrote the books that the film is based off of. And I guess I did that. It was, right. So I think the movie handled that in a good way that, yes, he was a major character, but it wasn't like totally from his point of view. And this, I mean, yes, he was definitely one of like him and kind of what uh, Robert Downey Jr. and then Mark Ruffalo are kind of the, the three people they focus on going through this investigation. But yes, it was Jake Gyllenhaal's character who did write the the books that inspired the film. So this is an interesting one because... This is I had never heard of this cold case. Like everyone had, everyone kind of hears of Jack the Ripper growing up. I had never heard of the Zodiac killings until the movie came out. Were you kind of in a similar boat with that? Of course probably too because you were probably in middle school when the movie came out, I guess. Yeah, the the movie came out in 2007. Right. So, yeah, I I, I don't think I probably had had heard anything about uh, the Zodiac Killer before the movie came out. Though it would have been weirder if you were 14 and had. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I know all about him. I think I saw his <laughs> cryptography stuff. Yeah, so just the whole idea. I mean, you see, it's almost become a trope in movies, I think, you know, in the last decade of the serial killer that's taunting the investigators, which, again, Jack the Ripper did. And you see in fiction all, all the time now. But the Zodiac Killer did it, too, and was writing letters to the press and the investigators, basically daring them to catch him. And ultimately, they never do. And that's freaking scary yeah i mean people probably don't have to worry now like whoever it was is is likely dead or or at the very least inact right i mean right because i mean well because well yeah just let's do some math here even if they were only 20 when they did the killings they'd be 70 now and odds are they were 30 or 40 or even older and so it's interesting too the movie and again this is kind of inevitable the movie kind of does point the finger at one specific suspect yeah. Even though they do talk about how some of the evidence against him is soft, the movie still kind of makes the point of saying, yeah, this was the guy. Yeah. But doing the research, that's kind of just conjecture. I mean, it's yes, he's one of the suspects, but there's I don't think there's enough evidence to say that, yes, it was even probably him. It was maybe him. I, oh, I, I, I personally, I think that it was probably Arthur Lee Allen. OK, OK. There is actually a pretty substantial amount of actual physical evidence that points away from him. Right. Um, but I think there's just too many coincidences. And I mean, true. The circumstantial stuff is out the wazoo, but yes, a lot of it is circumstantial, but 
yeah, I mean, we, we can, we can get into that later, but yeah, he, and it, it's funny if you go on the, on the Wikipedia page under suspects, it's Arthur Lee Allen and then everybody else. Correct. And he is, he is the primary, but again, because of the lack of physical, and honestly, even using modern technology, there's still no DNA evidence that's been able to link him to it either. So that's, I guess, what gave right. me a little pause. Right. But the circumstantial evidence, I think, is convincing enough to me to where I'm, I'm probably at least 80% sure that it was him. And, and that's And fair. then also the fact that, there, you know, throughout the whole investigation, he was the only person who ever had uh, a search warrant executed on his home. And he was actually the... he was about to be charged uh, when he when he died oh was he okay yeah that's just interesting though from a from a legal standpoint though you do get into that dangerous territory we're talking about yes we have this circumstantial evidence that's really really strong but if you're looking at convicting someone you have to have overwhelming evidence beyond a reasonable doubt and just as someone again i'll agree with you it probably was him but at the same time from a legal standpoint you don't, I don't know if they have the case. It's, it's, honestly, it's similar. Did you ever listen to Serial with the whole Anad Syed thing, whatever, where yes. and Serial kind of gives that point yes. of view? I, again, now, I do think it's kind of, not necessarily biased, but it seems to have, Jenna's a strong word too, but there was a documentary that kind of, on HBO, that was the, kind of the case against him. But within just listening to Serial itself, I would say my assessment is it could have been him, but regardless, they didn't have the evidence required to convict. Based on what's in the podcast. Right. Yeah. So let me, let me, I guess, let me add a caveat to me saying that I am pretty sure it was Arthur Lee Allen that did it. If I was a juror in a trial and that's the, and the evidence that, you know, that I was able to research, if that's what was presented in the trial, I think I, I don't think that I would vote to convict him. Right. If that makes sense. And that's tough when you think it's somebody, think actually yeah. with the, yeah, with the, with the Adnan Syed case. Uh, well, I, that, that one, I think there's, I don't know how he ever got convicted, but that is right. literally an, even an if he entire did, another even, podcast Even series. if he did it, yeah, I don't see how they got the evidence to convict him. Uh, yeah. But I have not seen a documentary that might kind of expose a little other light. Okay, back to <laughs> back to Zodiac. But no, I, I think they handled it really well. And this is a movie I remember just thinking it was okay the first time. And I'd say I liked it a lot more the second time. Just I think I just I just appreciated the filmmaking. The actors are great. And this is kind of fairly early on. The biggest thing that surprised me is this movie had zero Oscar nominations. Now, it wasn't the world of only five Best Picture nominees, but it had no other nominees nominations anyway. So I was looking, though, you look at where this falls within David Fincher's career. He, mm-hmm. he definitely has some hits before this, but from an award standpoint, he was not respected at this point. So... Prior to Zodiac, he does have Fight Club and seven or big movies and even something like The Game and Panic Room. There's 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 mainstream stuff, but awards-wise, you basically had Fight Club was nominated for a sound effects award. There's just not a lot of nominations around David Fincher movies, and that continues through Zodiac, but then it changes quickly when they expand the field to more than five Best Picture nominees and Benjamin Button kicks in, and then Social Network almost wins, and then all of a sudden, like you have a quick change where now David Fincher is considered like a a list director, He's like auteur status. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And that anything he has coming out is going to be seen in a whole different way. And I don't know if that's just kind of the industry catching up with what he's doing, or if you know, to look at the the voting body of the awards steers younger and becomes more of his fans that are now voting for stuff and that just kind of is always going to be a shift that's slow to come around so anyway it just surprised me that zodiac had zero oscar nominations for it's just a quality production even if it's not your favorite movie 
And, and the acting is really strong and everything. Yeah, the, the acting is really good. Jake Gyllenhaal is a really, really good performance. I really like uh, Mark Ruffalo as the uh, as the detective. Which that blew me away that he that character because it doesn't fit at all with the way Mark Ruffalo portrays him. But the real life guy he's playing is the inspiration for like Dirty Harry. Yeah, and Steve McQueen's yeah. character in Bullet, which you see those guys yeah. is a little more uh, obviously badass. And, and they actually, uh, there's a, a quick like mention in the in the movie. Like one of the one of the other cops calls Dave Toski. He calls him Bullet in the movie. Ah, or says, refers to him as Bullet or, or, or calls him Bullet. Is, um, but it's it's like a quick thing that watching it this time. This is probably like the fourth or fifth time that I've seen this movie, and I had never caught that before. But this time, this time I did. So is it? I could kind of vaguely remember. So is that more of a meta reference for the audience, or would the character at the time? Be aware that Stephen Queen's character in Bullet was based on him. He he would have because uh, the yeah. movie came out. Uh, Bullet came out in 1968. Okay, so this was it was, and then the, at that point in the movie, it was like the the mid 70s. So so the character would have been aware. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. He definitely would have known. Yeah, of course. Then I thought the, the even better reference because again, this whole Northern California world is also where George Lucas was growing up. Did you see this one? Uh, I think so. So, yeah, so, so the, the cop we're talking about who Mark Ruffalo plays is Dave Tashi. And George Lucas didn't necessarily appreciate the way he was kind of maligned in the media. And he gets uh, ultimately falsely accused because he was exonerated for falsifying or uh, forging a letter from the Zodiac Killer that ended up causing him a lot of career trouble. But he was ultimately exonerated anyway. So as a nod to Dave Tashi... George Lucas talks about Tashi Station on Tatooine that Luke wants to go visit his friends at. So, yeah, I, I, I love when you get little references like that from the real world into art, and and you would never catch it if you aren't super familiar with all this. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, so this something that I was thinking about when I was watching this. I kind of I almost wish that because I you know I, I was fourteen when this movie came out. I, I I don't think I saw it until at least a couple of years later. Right but I kind of wish that I would have been able to appreciate when the movie was coming out, you know, in the lead up to it, like David Fincher is going to direct this movie about the Zodiac case, you know, a serial killer case. that's never been solved. And it's, you know, it's got Mark Ruffalo and Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, I just think that I would have been on the hype train for this movie. True. If I would have been old enough to appreciate it. And I should have been. And I don't think I saw it right away. Of course, I also... I'm kind of oh squeamish and stuff when it comes to these serial killer movies. They're just not my cup of tea generally. This one's not gory mm-hmm. or anything though. It is more on the investigative side. It still freaks me out a little bit though. So there, I, just, I I mean it, it's not necessarily gory, but there well, are. That's true. You see a couple of the killers. Yeah, the, yeah, and and the it's tense. It's tense for sure. A couple of them. Yeah, a couple of them are kind of more stylized. But the, there's the the killing where the couple gets murdered by the lake in broad daylight. And it is just. It is broad daylight. It's it's one shot. There's no cuts. It's not like a cool, oh, no. like stylized yeah. action scene. It is just a, a kind of a, a almost a not a wide shot, but all three of them are in the shot, and both of them just getting stabbed to death for like yes. forty five seconds. The camera doesn't move or cut or pan or anything, and there's no music. It's just it's like this is basically exactly what happened. And that's where the brilliance of David Fincher as a director kind of comes in. It's easy for that to get. You can almost make that not a, not gimmicky, but just frenetic. You could add a frenetic right. to the fil- freneticness to the filmmaking that would, yeah, maybe I don't know, it would have a visceral effect on the audience. But I think it's more impactful if the camera is almost just silently watching and not yep. judging 
And it's like, why yeah. is it not judging this murderer? Like, it's just watching. Yep. And it's it's like it emphasizes to the viewer, like, you are going to sit there and you're going to watch this and the camera's not going to flinch or move or look away. And there's nothing you can do to stop it and you yes. can't help them. And it's, oh, man. Yes, yes, helplessness. Yes, it adds to the feeling of helplessness. Yes. And that that is, I, I think, I mean, that scene is definitely disturbing yes so i mean i can i can understand if if people don't enjoy watching the movie because of that but yeah my mom could never watch this movie <laughs> yeah yeah um and it also i think too that that same shot makes it it makes you think they're gonna get away i don't know why i think that you kind of know this is a movie about the serial killer but you still almost think that these are gonna be people who survive and get to tell the tale because it's broad well, the daylight guy, the guy does that, that guy did well survive. that's true but it wasn't a, he the, was the guy yeah. right yeah, it's right. yeah. They kind of do talk about too that the Zodiac killer seems so obsessed with making sure the women died that he kind of neglected the men. And they, so of his, so you look at the victims. So it is interesting. This Zodiac killer claimed to kill a lot, a lot of people, a couple dozen, I think. I forget the number, but they only officially know of five. And then that's right. two more that were attacked and survived, or these two men, the one at the the lake here, and then the one of his first victims in the car the kids the teenagers basically you know at like kind of the necking point are yeah. uh, shot in the car but there's it's again it's very similar to jack the Whipper, ripper there's kind of the ones they know for sure there's the probabilities and then there's the maybes same kind of thing here with zodiac and he was taking credit for stuff that the authorities have not been able to prove because just because he's calling in and saying he did it right. well he's also playing games with them so you don't just take his word for it right and, and a lot of the um the murders that he took credit for that are not officially attributed to him were murders that were reported in the press um, that he then writes into the newspaper and takes credit for. But uh, most of those murders, he, he doesn't offer any details other than what was public knowledge. Anyway, the ones that were for sure him were he, you know, the ones that where he either sent in physical evidence, like the pieces of the taxi driver's shirt or ones where he right. offered details that were not released to the public so they knew it was it was him basically was the shirt thing was that real or was that just in the movie i didn't see that specifically yes, that was real okay okay it's just a detail that i that i missed there so we've kind of been dancing around it the the movie focuses on kind of the the three guys we've mentioned played by mark ruffalo robert downey jr and jake gyllenhaal mark ruffalo and actually no worse than his partner is anthony edwards is yeah goose yeah and <laughs> So they're the cops that are actually on the case, the detectives. Meanwhile, the other two guys are working at a newspaper. I was going to say reporter, yep. but Jake Gyllenhaal's character isn't actually a reporter. He's right, the cartoonist exactly. who just yeah. becomes obsessed with yep. the Zodiac Killer and the whole puzzle aspect to it. And kind of then does well enough in his own independent research that he kind of, oh, befriends is a strong word, but he kind of makes a connection with Mark Ruffalo's character who gives him what information he can kind of under the table. And then, of course, in the movie and in real life, this Robert Grayson, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, who wrote the books the movie is based on, got so obsessed that, yeah, it cost him his, his marriage, it cost him his job. And yes, he did, you know, publish some books on it, but basically just became, you know, monomaniacal, <laughs> good word, <laughs> uh, about this case and just obsessed with it. And it, like I said, they, and they definitely show that in the movie in a way that doesn't make him seem crazy. I think they do a good job. Movies definitely can take this stuff too far. So that's, again, where I think Fincher and the whole filmmaking and Jake himself do a good job of showing someone who is obsessed, yes, probably past the point where it's healthy, 
but not past the point where it seems like, oh man, this could this could be me. Like it's just like someone who's just really obsessed with this thing and just always into it. But he doesn't seem like a crazy person. He doesn't seem totally unhealthy. He doesn't. Right. He just is just really, really obsessed with this and won't let it go. But it's never been solved. It's hard not to let it. Or it's hard. It's hard to let it go when this serial killer is still at large, and you you kind of feel for him from that from that regard. And it's. It's a scary movie. It really is, even though it's kind of a procedural almost. Yeah, I, and I didn't. Uh, obviously, in in the movie, they kind of they point to the guy who, who, in the movie, as far as suspects, they they do mention a couple of other people um, that they think might have been um, viable suspects, but it kind of focuses on on Arthur Lee Allen. Um, was that the same viewpoint that Robert Graysmith had in real life um, in his books? Or is that kind of a is that more of a David Fincher thing? Uh, see the information on well at least on Grayson's Wikipedia page or Grace Smith that that information is just non-existent. We'd probably have to read the books, I guess, to get the exact opinions as far as that goes. So you're right. I don't know to what extent Grace it was Grace Smith or Fincher who kind of chose to take it in the direction they did as far as really pointing the finger at the one guy. And then, like I said, mentioning some of those others, the, uh, the movie theater employee that kind of freaks Hall out at the end. Is he even listed on the Wikipedia page as other possible suspects? Or is that something they just kind of used for the movie? Because I forget that character's name. Um, yeah, I don't remember that. So he was going to Jake Gyllenhaal's character in the movie is going to that guy who draw, who, um, you know, who has all the movie posters to talk about somebody else, which I forget the guy's name. Rick Marshall. So Rick Marshall was uh, he was a guy who was a projectionist at that movie theater who uh, also lived in the area. Um, he owned uh, the same model of typewriter that one of the typewritten letters was uh, made on. Right. You know, th- there was a few other things, but but he's not listed on the Wikipedia page as a suspect. No, he's not. Yeah, no, okay. he's not. So that's that's either an invention of well. You wouldn't think the books are nonfiction, so this that was probably just a red herring for the film, I would imagine. Rick Marshall? Yeah. No, he was he was seriously considered in real life, and there's some people who who think that he did it. And, oh, and, um, he's not listed on the Wikipedia page for uh, potential suspects. Yeah, and, and I'm not I'm not sure why. But. Oh, gotcha. You, but you're saying he should be. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. And yeah, so most movies like this, you would feel like you you come to some kind of conclusion where there's a confrontation, and it's it's not many movies that just kind of end with. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen Zodiac, although it's based on a true story and we already told you it was it's an unsolved case. But Jake does track him down. It is, Jake, is it Jake or Robert Downey Jr. that tracks him down at the hardware store at the end? Uh, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, okay. Tracks him yeah. down at the end and basically just makes eye contact with him in a hardware store long enough that you kind of they have this kind of moment where I know, you know, and you know I know, and I'm walking away, but I found you. It's you. I know it's you. And definitely kind of hangs a lantern on that. And that's basically, I don't know if you call it the climax, it kind of happens in the denouement, but that's kind of the close, that's all the closure you get is that, but it's it's a way for Jake's character who's been obsessed with this to find some kind of closure. And it's like, I had to know, I had to know, I spent the last 10, 20 years obsessed with knowing who this guy was. And I'm confident that I know he's not going to be arrested, but I know. And that's kind of the emotional catharsis, I guess, you get to feel somewhat satisfied with the end of the movie. Yeah. Neither one of them says anything, but the look on his face yes. is like, yes, it, it, yeah, it totally changes. Yep. And again, great filmmaking. It, I just kind of all around. Yep. And yeah, very impressed. And again, I was just kind of shocked that this had nothing. I mean, you would think the, 
I don't know, the score, right? Same thing like, you know, Fight Club. Get a sound effects or sound editing uh, nomination. But, and yeah, I was actually surprised, too, that Fincher's only done four movies since this, which just kind of blows me away even saying it. It's, it's after Zodiac, he did Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Social Network, mm-hmm. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, and Gone Girl. And now he does have another one that's post-production right now. But of course, we'll see what happens with uh, We Are Filming This still in the midst of kind of the lockdown with the coronavirus in the spring still. So we don't know to what extent Hollywood productions are going to be put on hold going forward here and what Fincher's up to. But hopefully we get back to seeing more of his films. Because I, I do, I, I enjoy them overall. I'm probably not a, some people are kind of huge Fincher fanboys. A lot of the critic podcasts I listen to, they are obsessed with him and think he can do no wrong. And I'm like, yeah, his movies are good. Fight Club is still my favorite of all his. And I, the game is one I have not seen that's really highly rated and I don't know how I missed it. Uh, yeah, so before we close it out, I feel like, so we we have talked a lot about Arthur Lee Allen, and we've talked about the evidence against him, so I feel like we should go through and talk about how, at least how much evidence there is, and then, you know, and how much is actually evidence that points to him specifically versus circumstantial evidence, so I guess we'll start with direct uh, evidence, so Mike Mijot, who was the, he was the kid who in the movie is the first victim and, right so, well he's the first person he's him and the girl are the two the couple that are out on like the the lover's lane area yes at lake herman or sorry not lake herman uh blue rock springs so he survived and then in uh 1992 so you know this is several years later but he picked arthur lee allen out of a photo lineup right and said that's the guy who shot me 20 some years earlier yeah. right right but you know, yeah, no, that's, it's it's still it's still evidence. Yes. And then uh, the other victim that survived, Brian Hartnell, he picked out his voice and said that his uh, appearance was similar to the guy who okay. attacked him and tried to kill him. But I mean, once we get into like the circumstantial evidence is where I mean, it's 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 so much it's uncanny. You're right. That it's, it's uncanny it, that it's crazy. It's so much that it's crazy. So the in the movie and I think in real life, too. Arthur Lee Allen was brought to the attention of the cops by this guy that he uh, worked with, Don Cheney. Don Cheney told the cops that he and Allen had talked about, or I guess Allen had told him that he would like to kill couples, that he would write letters if he was a serial killer, that you know he would taunt the police and, and write letters to them, that he would call himself Zodiac that he would use the Zodiac symbol from his Zodiac watch, which he actually owned. Right. Um, that's not just made up in the movie. That's right. in real it almost, life. It almost seems like uh, that's ridiculous. That's too much in the movie. It's like, no, that's true. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's real. That's real. That uh, he talked about how he could attach a flashlight tape of a uh, pen light to the end of his gun to make it easier to shoot um, at night at close distance, which is something that Zodiac talked about. Uh, in one of his letters, he talked about how he had a gun or a, a light tape to the end of his gun, and it made it easier to shoot people at night. His birthday is December 18th, which is um, in the movie they talk about the lady at uh, Melvin Belli's house, the housekeeper, uh, who answers a phone from someone who talks about, I need to kill someone. It's my birthday. I need to kill. And that was on December 18th. Right. And that's Arthur Lee Allen's birthday. He lived in Vallejo during the Blue Rock Springs murders and the Lake Herman murders. And he was a possible known associate or friend of Darlene Farron, who was murdered in, Blue, in the Blue Rock Springs murder, which is the, the Lover's Lane 
you know, car shooting murder at the, at the very beginning of the movie. Which, yeah, and, and kind of to your point, there's definitely enough circumstantial evidence, it seems, to make an arrest, even if there's not to convict, right? And, and I guess, is that your point that they were ultimately going to make an arrest, but then he died? But that was like decades after the fact, right? Yeah, it was it was decades later. Um, they you know, they were still working the case and they were actually pretty close to charging him. But then he ended up dying, I think, of a heart attack or something. But yeah, I mean, there's 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 ton, I mean, literally pages of circumstantial evidence, um, even stuff like uh, the only sick day that he took in 1966 was November 1st. And Sherry Joe Bates was murdered on October 30th, 1966. Is that a coincidence? Maybe, but it's like right. But 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 then again, with, when the police search his place, they don't find anything, and the handwriting samples don't match. And, right? Yeah, There's no no blood. Handwriting doesn't match. That the DNA from this, uh, they tested DNA from one of the stamps. It was a lick stamp. Yeah, it didn't match him. Right. Um, yeah, they, they said that the handwriting didn't match. Um, the gun that they recovered from his trailer that they searched didn't match any of the any of the the bullets that were recovered. So, but but again, he might have been that methodical. I guess is is that he covered his tracks that well, and so yes, yep. the circumstantial evidence was there. But then again, it seems like if you're going to be so careful about covering up the actual evidence, he seems pretty careless when it comes to the circumstantial stuff. Like, why are you talking about admitting to your birthday or talking about your plans and then doing them that way? I agree with you; it was most likely him. But it just seems weird that he's super careful over here and super careless over here if it is yeah. him. And I, I also think so, like um, there was also stuff like uh, back then, not every jurisdiction recorded 911 calls. Mm. So he would call he called in multiple times after murders, you know, to report the crimes right. and, uh, you know, basically say, oh, there's a double murder here. But technology at that time was not such that they recorded, you know, because where are you going to honestly it was a storage thing back then. So th- that that evidence is gone. I think if these murders are committed not just now, 50 years later, but even if he commits these murders 20 or 30 years later. Right. If this is 1990, he gets busted. You're yep. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's caught for sure, I think. Yeah, it's yep. crazy. So, yes, a, a very scary, true story that we thought it was appropriate to kick off season four here for Halloween for you. Anything else before we go? Nope. Watch the movie, though. Yeah, it, it is a good movie. Check it out. Even if you're a little skittish, you know, just do, do, do what I did. And just, you know, watch it at 11 a.m. with all the lights on. <laughs> and yeah, so we will get started on Election Day next Tuesday. Thanks for listening and we'll see you then.